This is Chthonia, the world of the dark feminine. Hello and welcome to Chthonia, the podcast dealing with the dark feminine. My name's Breach Burke, I'm your host, and this week um, in our continual look at um, sort of Afro-Caribbean, Brazilian feminine figures that are that will be considered to be dark in some fashion, uh, this week we are going to look at Urzili. Now, now Urzili is actually a, a family of Loa, or spirits. Uh, we had talked about Maman Brigitte, and Maman Brigitte is part of the Gede um, family of Loa. This is, uh, um, so Urzili is actually its own um, class or family of Loa. And they are associated with water, uh, femininity, and feminine bodies. And as we will see, the, the, um, the, the different um, Urzili who we talk about are, are quite, they're quite interesting to me because they, they, really, they really get into within one group of feminine figures the, the whole concept of femininity with a capital F, which is usually what I'm referring to when I talk about uh, the feminine. When I talk about the feminine, I mean, yes, we could talk about women or women's rights or, or toxic masculinity or things like that. But when we talk about the feminine with the capital F, we're talking about all of those attributes that we tend to associate um, with the feminine, whether it has to do with women in particular or not. And also, in, as we see in these particular religious traditions, how they also mix in with things like colonialism, how that, you know, with the, the effects of the slave trade, the ways in which, um, you know, say French or Spanish interests, um, you know, particularly with um, the Catholic religion and so forth, end up influencing um, the, the African religion and turning it into something different. Um, again, because there's the Yoruba religion, but then this is also we're looking at, we are now back looking at Haitian voodoo. And the, the voodoo tradition um, it definitely is kind of a unique um, <clears throat> mixture of Creole and, um, you know, which is, which is, you know, sort of the, um, you know, you know that, that, that French, African, and even somewhat Spanish influence that, that you see in places like New Orleans, for example, um, and other, you know, other places. And, of course, within the Caribbean itself, uh, there's, there's definitely this, um, this tradition that is that is unique to this part of the world um, because a lot of it did come out of the slave trade and out of colonialism. And so you see in the gods and the spirits that are portrayed there, you see this kind of monotheistic tendency, <clears throat> which may have also been there, by the way, in African religions. There's that unique blend of having sort of a monotheistic type creator god, but having all of these intermediary spirits that uh, move between. Um, and, inter- and they're the ones that interact with us and interact with the world. So it's, it's kind of a unique blending of monotheism with what we might think of as animism of a type. And, and, and it does so, and, and the deities themselves will take on attributes often of, the, um, of their colonial um, oppressors, you might say, uh, you know, and as we're going to see with um, Urzili Frida. But what, I, what I'm most interested in, I'm going to talk about Urzili, who she is, and, you know, about, a little bit about the voodoo um, nations, I guess they are called. <clears throat> and, um, and we're going to talk about the different uh, Urzili and their, and their characteristics. 
But what I also want to talk about is, you know, what this, what these figures actually imply in terms of the feminine. And for that, because um, to me, there's these, what we think of as the spirit of the Urzili is actually, you know, it, it has a lot to do with what we think of as the qualities of what Jung would call the anima. And I want to, and I probably will read a little bit from Jung too on this, um, <clears throat> on this feminine idea and how it tends to present itself in gods. Now, of course, Jung isn't talking about um, the voodoo gods, but nonetheless, what he's saying is relevant. So, so let's begin here. Um, now, the Urzili, okay. As I mentioned, they're, um, they're associated with water, femininity, and feminine bodies. They are one of, of o- the, <clears throat> the only group of spirits directly tied to these characteristics and those who become possessed, because as we know in voodoo, um, the ceremonies involve, um, you know, uh, drawing the veve and, and, and doing certain rituals, making the offerings and having the, the actual loa possess the body of the priest or priestess um, do, who is doing the ceremony. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, or the sorcerer or, you know, whoever that is. Um, so the people, those who are possessed by the Urzili are either women or what they call masisi, which are feminine men or, you know, what they're calling queer, homosexual, you know, they, those are the ones. So again, right away you see that this is associated with femininity with a capital F, not necessarily with biological sex. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> okay, so we're talking about, there's, there's different um, Urzili, um, and they're, they're, you're gonna, we're going to talk here about the Rada aspect and then what they call the Petro aspect. Now let me just say something about what those are, um, because I don't think that's necessarily um, understood um, by default. Um, okay, uh, let me just find my, my note here on this. Yes, um, each loa is devi- identified with one of these um, nations, as I'd mentioned, and is bound to his or her nation, just as humans in Haitian society are linked by ties of family and kinship. Um, now, this is one of the scholars. Murphy identifies eight nations as the most significant. Rada, Petro, um, um, Nago, or Yoruba, Ibo, or Igbo, Wangol, or Angola, Senegal, or Senegal, um, and Guinean, or um, Guinea, and Congo. <clears throat> Uh, the two most um, inclusive groups and the largest nations are Rada, which is home to the wise and benevolent spirits that accompany the slaves to the New World from ancestral Africa, and Petro, the fierce and tempestuous spirits drawn from central Africa and creolized in Haiti, whose rites, born of the rage of the evil fate suffered by Africans transported to the New World, speak to the wrath against the brutality of displacement and enslavement. Um, folk tradition maintains that it was at a Petro ceremony that leaders of the Haitian Revolution swore their loyalty oath. As the different congregations have chosen from among the various rites and practices of these nations to elaborate their own particular forms of worship, they have formed what they call, what this Murphy calls, a liturgical mosaic, characteristic of the mutability and variety of voodoo practices. Okay. Um, now, this is from a book called uh, Creole Religions of the Caribbean, which is actually a collection of essays. And the particular essay that I'm reading from is on Haitian voodoo. Um, it's chapter four in this book. And I just want to see if I have an author attribution here. It's New York University Press. And it's uh, uh, Marguerite Fernandez Olmos and Elizabeth Paravicini Gebert are, the, are the, um, the authors of this, or at least the editors of this work. Okay, so it's an introduction from voodoo uh, and Santeria to Obea and uh, Espiritismo. So that's what this is, um, this is about. 
So that's where I'm. That, that's my source on that. <clears throat> okay. So let's start talking about the different Urzili from this particular loa. Urzili Freda uh, Dahomey, the Rada aspect of Urzili, is the Haitian African spirit of love, beauty, jewelry, dancing, luxury, and flowers. She wears three wedding wedding rings, one for each. They're saying husband here, although in other traditions she's not married. Uh, Dambala, Agwe, and Ogun. I don't know if I'm saying the last one right. Her symbol is a heart. Her colors are pink, blue, white, and gold. Her favorite sacrifices include jewelry, perfume, sweet cakes, and liqueurs. Coquettish and very fond of beauty and finery, Urzili Freda is femininity and compassion embodied, yet she also has a darker side. She is seen as jealous and spoiled and within some voodoo circles considered to be lazy. During ritual possession, she may enter the body of either a man or a woman. She enjoys games of flirtation and seduces people without distinguishing between sexes. In Christian iconography, she is often identified with the Mater Dolorosa, as well as another loa named Metris Izili. <clears throat> she is conceived as never able to attain her heart's most fervent desire. Now that's interesting. Um, that's, that's a motif that I wanna, want us to sort of bookmark in our mind there. Uh, she is con- you know, never able to attain her heart's most fervent desire. For this reason, she always leaves a service in tears. Common synchronizations include uh, Ialore Oshum, that is the goddess Ocean, as she relates to the Yoruba goddess of erotic love, gold, and femininity. Um, Okay, so that's the one, Urzili. Let me give you a moment here. One second. Okay, sorry. My phone is deciding to go off, so I decided to put that into silent mode so we don't hear that. Okay. Um, okay, so the other, that's, so this is the one, Urzili. She's the one associated with femininity. And as we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes, her, um, <clears throat> her, her interest in finery and wearing fine clothes, and, and, and she speaks French, you know, the, the things that she has, they, it, it definitely has taken on the attributes of, um, you know, those who have, um, not of the enslaved population, but of their of their captors, if you will. Um, so she she definitely so there's definitely um, and, and like I said, this mater association with mater dolorosa as well. Um, the idea of the the mother who has sort of the the, the pieta, uh, pieta, you know, sort of the, um, the the very sad mother who has like the knife through the heart. Okay, uh, we can think of like the three of swords imagery, for example, in tarot. Um, <clears throat> she has this. Uh, you know, um, you know, so she's, so she's, she's very beautiful. She's very seductive. She is a goddess of love, but she, but it's, but there is also this idea of unrequited love or of not getting what one desires. And here they're mentioning her having three husbands, but as we'll see, she's also, um, not considered to have one. Now there's actually, I do have one other thing I want to say about Urzili Frida here before I move on to the next Urzili. Um, okay. So here, this is also from that other, from the other book I was referring to. Um, she's a goddess of love and luxury, a flirtatious, light-skinned, okay, she's mulatto as well, a creole known as the personification of feminine beauty and grace. She has, as Metro describes her, all the characteristics of a pretty mulatto. She is coquettish, sensual, pleasure-loving, and extravagant. Her veve invokes images of sensuality, luxury, and unrequited love. Yes, because you have the heart with the knife through it as well in her, uh, in her veve. Um... 
And it says, every Haitian um, unfo contains a room or corner of a room devoted to Izili. She adores fine clothes, red and blue dresses particularly, jewels, perfumes, and lace, all of which are kept on her altar, together with the basin, towel, soap, comb, lipstick, and other articles indispensable to her toilet. Uh, those mounted by Izili, remember the the um, she, when you when they possess the priest, priestess, or sorcerer that are known as a cheval or a horse. You know the the spirit mounts them and rides them, as it were. Um, those mounted by her, whether male or female, make their entrance into the uh, pedestal dressed to captivate, walking slowly, swinging hips, ogling men, or pausing for a kiss or caress. Azili Frida's colors are white and pink, and a rare instance of product placement in Haitian voodoo, her favorite brand of perfume is said to be Anai Anai. Um, offerings to Azili Frida include heavily sweetened drinks made with orange syrup or grenadine, rice cooked in cinnamon milk, or bananas fried in sugar, and mild cigarettes. Azili Frida, um, uh, the Dus Loa of the Radarite of Dahomey, is unhappy in love and is often represented by the uh, chromolithograph of the Mater Dolorosa, and familiar depiction with her heart pierced by a knife. Um, in Divine Horseman, Maya Deren, a very famous filmmaker, describes how she herself was possessed, possessed by Urzili. As sometimes in dreams, so here I can observe myself, can note with pleasure how the full hem of my white skirt plays with the rhythms, can watch as if in a mirror how the smile begins with the softening of lips spreads imperceptibly into a radiance which surely is lovelier than any I have ever, uh, lovelier than any I have ever seen. It is when I turn as if to a neighbor to say, look, see how lovely that is. And see that others are already, others are removed to a distance, withdrawn to a circle which is already watching, that I realize, like a shaft of terror struck through me, that it is no longer myself that I watch. Okay, so that that's interesting. Uh, Maya Darren, by the way, her, her work, if you can, her, her movies are a little hard to get a hold of. There may be a few of them on YouTube. Um, actually the library where I work, we did actually buy, uh, the Maya Darren collection of like seven short films. It was like a hundred bucks. It's quite expensive, but, um, her, her films are, are fascinating. Um, she's, um, that's kind of a side note there, but so she, she talks about, um, you know, this aspect of Urzili. This is Urzili Freda. Now the other Urzili, uh, Urzili Dantor. Okay. Now she's the queen of the Petro nation, as we mentioned, which have to, has to do with the, um, harsher aspect of this um, of these deities, and she is the mother of Tijan Petro. She is often depicted as a fearsome black woman, protectively holding Tijan Petro in her arms. She is particularly fierce protector of women, children, and the neglects of society. Okay, so we see we see actually kind of an overlap there with someone like Maman Brigitte, who deals with the neglected dead, but she is dealing with those um, in living society who are neglected. Okay, she's the Loa Poen, <clears throat> in contrast with Urzuli, Urzili Frida, who will bless you with material riches. Urzili Dantor will give you the spiritual knowledge needed to navigate through this material reality. Urzili Dantor's wealth lasts and can be passed on from one generation to another, whereas Urzili Frida, in any of her jealous fits, can deprive overnight of the gains she helped you to achieve. Um, now, uh, they're, they're mentioning that this uh, Urzili Dantor is often portrayed to resemble the Black Madonna of... Uh, Chextacoa. Um, are we saying that right? Chestachoa. Okay. <clears throat> as she is represented as being dark-skinned with two scars on her face. Her colors are red, black, and blue. Okay, something else to note. <clears throat> her favorite sacrifices include black pigs, uh, griot, which is seasoned fried pork, 
uh, blood, seven stabs of the sword, and rum. Okay, and uh, Tejan Petro is her son, and Jean Petro is her lover or husband. Okay, and again, there's another tradition where the women are actually both unmarried. So, um, one, because she's, you know, a seductress who is continually wants a variety of men, and in this case, because, you know, she is potentially um, considered to be independent and not in need of being obedient to someone else or being beholden to someone else. Okay, so they here we talk about the Rada, um, Urzili, Urzili Frida, a vain and flirty goddess of love. Her horses, the, the possessed ones, tend to cry tears of longing and regret. She is syncretized with Our Lady of Sorrows, the Virgin Mary as suffering mother, Mater Dolorosa. Now, again, there's that Catholic influence, that Catholic colonial influence uh, here. Um, Urzili Mansur represents maternal love and protects children from harm. And Grana Izili represents the wisdom granted by experience and maturity and grandmotherly kindness and love. She is syncretized with St. Anne, the mother of the Virgin Mary. Okay. So you see not only love in its more pleasant aspect, but you also see this maternal, um, you know, loving maternal element, that aspect of the feminine that tends to be more emphasized in the West or tends to be more idealized in the West. Now, the Petro, um, we have Urzili Dantor, um, She's the protects women and children, deals revenge against those who wrong them. Um, Urzili Balian, uh, who silences uh, hearts. She keeps secrets and ensures that secrets will not be revealed. Helps people to forget past loves and overcome passionate emotions. Okay. And she is syncretized with the Immaculate Heart. Um, um, <clears throat> now, I'm not sure I'm going to say this way. Urzili Mapiangwe, I think is how it's said, uh, deals with the pain of childbirth and the protection of unborn and newborn babies. Her horses tend to get in a fetal position, a birthing position, and cry tears of pain. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I have too much of a, uh, a cough today. Common syncretization is as the virgin and infant of Prague, which wears matching velvet robes and gold crowns. Um, and then Urzili Gerouge, okay, this one is um, important, or Gerouge, red-eyed Urzili takes revenge on unfaithful lovers, and her horses cry tears of bitter sadness. Okay, so she's another, um, she also has a little bit more of a fearful aspect. Um, and Urzili Toho aids the jealous or slighted in love. Um, <clears throat> her horses cry tears of anger. And there's a few other ones, but, um, so, um, yeah, just a few more notes that are probably a little repetitive. Uh, Petro writes arose in the New World during slavery, and Petroloa are characteristically dark and powerful and called bitter, or anme. Uh, Urzili is a love goddess who developed during a time when slave owners broke up families and separated husbands and wives at will. She is sometimes considered a triple goddess. She has three husbands, the Dambala, the sky god, Agwe, a sea god, and Ogun, the god of fire and iron. And she wears three wedding bands because of this. Okay. Myths of her can be traced all the way back to West Africa. The arts, especially dance, are her domain. Rivers, streams, lakes, and waterfalls are hers, and she can cure womb-related problems with her cool waters. The fan she is holding in most depictions um, is from Osko um, Osog Osogbo, Nigeria, and belongs to a priestess of ocean who is the mediator between divine or natural world and the world of people. The cross and the circle indicating the meeting of the two worlds. <clears throat> In her Petronation aspect as Urzili Dantor, she is depicted as a scarred and buxom black woman holding a child protectively in her arms. She's a protector of women and children. 
A common syncretic depiction of Rosili Dantor is St. John, John d'Arc, or Joan of Arc, who is displayed carrying or supporting a sword. Another is the Black Madonna, um, who I mentioned. Um, and, and of course, I, I did a podcast with Ellen Jones on Black Madonnas. So, uh, yeah, so these tend to be very um, powerful manifestations of um, the mother goddess or of earth energy. And she is represented as being dark-skinned. Tejan Petro is her son. And says this says sometimes considered her lover or husband, but I believe her husband is Jean Petro. So, um, okay. So, with regard to Rosili Dantor, or Danto, um, now, again, back to the um, Creole religion book, she says that um, she is the second most popular manifestation of um, Azili is that of Azili Danto, a dark-skinned, hard-working peasant woman habitually dressed in blue, red, or multicolored fabrics. Like Azili Frida, she has no husband. See here, they're saying they have no spouses. Um, but has a daughter, Anai, to whom she is devoted. Now, that's, that's also different, because we hear about the daughter here, but we hear about the son in um, the other depiction. Okay, so, you know, probably there's elements of both, um, depending, maybe it depends on tradition or, 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 you know, what is emphasized. The scratches on her cheek are said to be a reminder of the bitter, bitter rivalry between the two Azili's. Her alter ego is the knife-wielding Petro um, Loa Azili Gay Rouge, Azili of the Red Eyes. Okay, so here, the other one, they're saying she is merely sad. Um, this one, um is, is knife-wielding, so she's, uh, she's much more angry. And, and, and again, the, the offerings, again, are um, scents like Florida water, um, clarin or raw rum, fried pork, and unfiltered camels. As the more mundane peasant incarnation of Azili Freda as a mother, she is associated not with the Mater Dolorosa, but with Madonnas with children like Our Lady of Mount Carmel or Black Madonnas like Mater uh, Salvatoris. Okay, so... So, okay, so now we see, um, okay, we have two different sort of voodoo nations we're talking about here, the Rada and um, the Petro. And we're talking about gods with, with very different qualities and characteristics. So, um, and, and we're talking about a purely feminine um, loa type, okay? The Urzili are purely, purely have to do with femininity. Uh, you might think about, in Hinduism, the way the Mahavidyas... Um, are the manifestations of the feminine in all, sort of almost all possible forms. This particular um, characterization, um, we, we see two different forms, which essentially show us the, um, <clears throat> what people consider to be the quote-unquote lighter aspects of femininity and the darker ones, okay? They're, they're both. They're both embodied there. And what's interesting is with the scars, there seems to be a portrayal of these are almost two characteristics that are at war with each other. What is interesting about both of them, though, and, and, and again, probably it's not so much that they are opposing as that they can come into conflict with each other, because certainly women, there's a way that women are said, or if we're talking about the way that that femininity is expressed through women, let me put it that way, um, there's a way that women are kind of expected or supposed to behave, particularly when it comes to the opposite sex. And so you tend to have these two different, these, well, okay, even in the West when we have these sort of Wiccan idea of maiden, mother, and crone, all right? What you're looking at here, um, Urzili tends to, Urzili Frida tends to represent what you might think of as more of that maiden aspect, maybe somewhat of the mother. Um, 
but then you have um, Orzili Danto or Dantor, uh, who represents more of that the mother to the crone aspect. And the differences between the three, the maiden tends to be young, tends to be sort of, like I said, fresh, you know, seductive, interested in, you know, looking pretty, looking nice, um, you know, trying to be attractive to, you know, and again, really here, it's very liminal because they were also pointing out that Urzili can, um, quote unquote, marry women as well. So there's, you know, so really the gender thing does actually all get kind of subverted and mixed up. I'm going to talk about that in a second from another piece. Um, but Urzili is, uh, so you, so you have this idea of this young, you know, coquettish, you know, seductive girl who's attractive to men and, and loves that. But also, but also notice that there's another piece to that. And that is the, the sadness never quite getting like, there's that unrequited aspect of it, unrequited love. And that sort of embodies the experience of, you know, let's just say, let's just for just for argument's sake heterosexual girls okay growing up um, when they go through puberty and go through their teen years um, there may be a fair amount of experience that they gain uh, and love experience and and you know the ecstasy of, of sex and love and all that but there's also a fair amount of rejection and loss and grief when you know when the love goes away or the lover goes away it's not um you know, there's that sense of, and you will, I don't know if I tend to see it as much now. I feel now, like in the culture, there's more of a culture of women as being independent. But the idea of, um, you know, trying to keep your man or trying to do this or that is not, that's an idea that's not, I, want to, I don't want to say it's gone away. It's just that when you look at popular culture, um, there seems to be a shift in how um, women are portrayed in that kind of a drama. Okay, it seems to me now that it's not so much like, you know, you know, the the devastated, you know, woman who's, you know, pining away in her room because she's lost her loved one. You know, there's not there's not that I, I well, I, I'm sure that there's people who become very emotional and for whom that can still happen or be be actually a real thing in their life. Um, it's not, you know, we, we as a culture, there, there tends to be stronger portrayals of women now, more independent ones where you know, you lose somebody, but it's not like this is the end of your life. It's like, you know, it's something you go through. Now, when we talk about the crone aspect, though, we are talking about the experienced woman who has gone through, who has gone through it all and has seen it all and is not necessarily swayed by the promises of young love, okay? Because those are frankly, I mean, we know, if you've been married, you know that marriage and dating are very different things. Okay, um, when you're dating, it's it's a whole it's a whole different ball game, and you actually um, archetypally, um, I talk about this in my love mythology course, um, or my love mythology lecture, I should say, which I'll be those those should be those I'm actually going to be recording re-recording and putting out um, very soon in the new year, um, and in fact, by the time you're listening to this, the course is probably going to be up, but in, you know, but there there tends to be two things. There's there's the anima figure, and then there's the mother figure. Okay, and when you are dating someone, again, we're just talking about a man-woman relationship. Obviously, there's homosexual relationships, there's relationships, you know, uh, there's, there's lesbian relationships, there are, you know, relationships between transgender people of however that, you know, you know, there's, there's attractions that are not necessarily just man-woman, okay? But even understanding that, even if we just look at the quote-unquote, you know, at that quote-unquote heteronormative um, idea, um, we have this idea that, uh, you know, there's, 
there, there's the kind of things that when you first fall in love with somebody, all the chemicals come up, all the hormones, and you know, you're just absolutely lusting after that person, and you just want to, you know, you just want to be by them all the time. It's like you know, you see these people who look like they're, you know, uh, accessories to each other. But you know that once you get married, so the, in that that stage, you are the anima. Okay, if you're the female in that one, you are the on, you are the projection of the man's anima. Uh, that that person is projecting their whole the power of their soul image onto you, and you it's like you are almost like that um, that goddess. But the anima, as Jung describes it, is actually a very complicated figure, um, who can be the absolute um, height of creativity and also can bring about the worst suffering in a man. Because uh, they said he so he would said in one of his things, you know, the anima injects her poison. You know, um, <clears throat> it's it can be. And it can <clears throat> potentially lead you, it, it takes your logic away for one thing. I mean, you end up, you're not moving because the logical realm is the realm of the masculine. And frequently when when you are um, possessed by the anima, as it were, or you've projected the anima onto um, your lover or partner, that that person uh, has takes on some kind of an ideal image that isn't really them. When you get married, um, it, that often tends to shift. The The female tends to become uh, more of the mother archetype and the man automatically will shift into gears and you know his wife will become what his mother was to him okay um so whereas before it might just have been about love and romance and dating then they get married and then it becomes about like oh okay are you gonna you know clean the house and iron my shirts and do this and you know whatever whatever people expected from their mother okay at least in these sort of traditional environments um, I, I know many stories, and I'll and again I talk about it in my love myth class, so I don't want to derail here with that. But there's a very different image of the two, and so when you're looking at the crone, you're looking at the older woman who's beyond childbearing years, who's beyond love, and has seen it all. And maybe there may even be a bitterness about it, um, but nonetheless, there's there's a cynicism for sure. There's this idea that. Um, Everything that, that, you know, all the blossoms of young love, it's like, yeah, well, that, that doesn't, where does that lead? That doesn't go anywhere, ultimately. Ultimately, it's something that blooms and then it dies. So the crone not only is a reminder of physical death, but it's a reminder of the death of that sort of thing, too. So we see these kinds of, all these aspects kind of embodied in these two figures. And so therefore, like a more of a crone-like image, which is where we tend to see the dark feminine, is more about the woman who is not swayed by love and falling in love and seduction. Not that sexuality can't be part of it, because sexuality is also considered to be extremely dangerous. So that is one aspect of it, the dangerous danger of female sexuality. And particularly for men, whoever <clears throat> um, is portraying the masculine in this case, the way that they are sucked in by that, um, by that archetype. Um, but there's also the woman who's like, yeah, okay, I've heard this song and dance before, as, as we like to say, been there, done there, got the t-shirt. Um, and so there's not, there, there's definitely more of a uh, cynicism about, about love. And, and so that's, that tends to be the person who comes along to warn the young woman about, you know, the, you know, the potential negatives of what she's getting into, um, which, you know, maybe that's kind of a killjoy. And again, you know, it, a lot of it depends on your attitude. If, um, if somebody is very much into sex and love and seduction and all those things, it's fine as long as they understand that they're not, they don't combine it with some kind of this is going to go on forever kind of idea. Um, even if they marry the person and they love each other for the rest of their lives, the relationship is going to be different from what it was when they were dating. Okay. So, um, okay. So I want to say a little bit more about these aspects of Ozili in terms of, um, 
in terms of the, this masculine and feminine thing. Um, okay, so this is from a article called um, by Joan Dyan called Urzili, A Woman's History of Haiti. And this is in the, Indi um, what is this? It's from Indiana University Press, uh, Research in African Literatures. Okay, <clears throat> that's where this is from. Okay, so she says, um, Urzili, the goddess spirit or loa of love in voodoo, in voodoo, tells a story of, a woman, of women's lives that has not yet been told. A goddess was born on the soil of Haiti who has no precedent in Yoruba land or Dahomey. In her varying incarnations, she has many faces. She bears the extremes of colonial history. Whether the pale and elegant Urzili Frida or the cold-hearted savage, cold savage uh, Urzili Gerouge, she dramatizes a specific historiography of women's experience in Haiti and throughout the Caribbean. In describing Urzili, most writers have turned to analogy. She's Venus, she's the Virgin. Uh, what if we decided to forego such external impositions and those dichotomies, such as pure and impure, evil or beneficent, and instead tried to talk about the continuing presence of Urzili through those relationships and events particular to women in Haiti, whether black, mulatto, or white? Although most ethnographers, whether Haitian or foreign, present Urzili in her three emanations, as Urzili Frida, the lady of luxury and love, as Urzili Dantor, the black woman of passion identified in Catholic chromolithographs with the Mater Salvatoris, her heart pierced with a dagger, and as Urzili Gay Rouge, the red-eyed militant of fury and vengeance. Urzili bears witness to a far more complicated lineage. Okay? Indeed, in ritual practices, there are slippages and uneasy alliances between these apparently antagonistic gods. And yes, of course, because the reality is that they're not quite as separate as you might think. Now, she says here, now this is the part I was looking at, unlike Western religions that depend on dualism, such as matter and spirit, body and soul, for their perpetuation and power, voodoo unsettles and subverts such apparent oppositions. That subversion becomes most evident when we turn to the question of gender distinction and color division. Urzili um, Frida, the mulatres blanche, is the lover of Ugon, a, a very black god of war, often identified with, um, I'm not sure I'm going to say this right, Papa Desalinus, I think. But she also wears the rings of Dambala, the white snake god of the sweet waters and the god of the sea who is figured as white. Though a woman, Urzili vacillates between her attraction for the two sexes. She holds her servitors in between two irreconcilables, in between the supposed antithetical constructions of masculinity and femininity. She's not androgynous, for she deliberately encases herself in the trappings of what has been constituted in a social world, especially that of the Frenchified elites, as femininity. Urzili thus goes beyond false dichotomizing as she prescribes and responds to multiple and apparently incoherent directives. She takes on a garb of femininity and even speaks excellent French in order to confound and discard the culturally, refined, culturally defined roles of men and women. If voodoo remains a locus of feminine strength, with women and men in equal practice, it can be so only because it, it ever reconstitutes specifically gendered stereotypes. Urzili demands of her servitors abstention from sex on her sacred days. But Urzili, quote-unquote, marries women as well. Everything written about Urzili can be con contradicted. She, as some will tell you, the loa of lust most often prayed to by prostitutes. A goddess served by the Haitian elite or young versions, Urzili is often sought after, is also sought after by those with homosexual tendencies. The indeterminacy of the goddess, who, um, whose um, libidounders between men and women enacts a fantasy of l'amorous, a play that is ever determined by precise sociocultural models. Um, and here that she talks about a voodoo priestess who says every woman is an emanation of Urzili, okay? And that's where we get to the idea 
of uh, the anima. And um, so this article goes on to talk about, you know, getting away from the idea of looking at women as, um, you know, you know, objects or icons, um, because they're not, because as we can see, it's, it's far more complicated than that. Um, I want to go back to the Jung piece for a minute. And this is from Jung's essay called The Psychological Aspects of the Kore. Kore being Persephone, um, the, the queen of the underworld who was supposedly, you know, who's abducted by Hades away from her mother Demeter. And then there's the whole idea of Demeter's search for her daughter. Um, you know, but of course, uh, Persephone or Kore has eaten the pomegranate seed in the underworld, which is also a symbol of sexuality. And so she remains with her husband. Highly symbolic. I have another podcast on that. Um, but here's, here's what Jung has to say about the Kore as a type. And we see this to some degree in Urzile Frida. Okay. Um, so first of all, um, they talks about the maiden sacrifice. Okay. Um, the way, um, you know, the idea of the, the virgin chained up by the dragon or some, or so, so on and so forth. And, um, you know, and, and we don't see this with Urzile Frida just to be, but the idea of the, um, of the woman who is, um, you know, um, perpetually going after something she cannot attain. There's a certain element of that, um, in here. Um, so the, he talks about, um, the, the descent into the underworld of the, of the, the virginal feminine. Okay. Um, where he says, uh, often bloody, cruel, and even obscene orgies to which the innocent child falls victim. Sometimes it's a true Nikia, which is an underworld uh, journey, a descent into Hades, and a quest for the treasure hard to attain, occasionally connected with orgiastic sexual rites or offerings of menstrual blood to the moon. Oddly enough, the various tortures obscenities are carried out by an earth mother. So here we're saying, we're, we're talking about the innocent maiden, you know, who's this embodiment of innocence and, and love, young love and, and all that sort of thing. But we're also talking about the cruelties of the Earth Mother, which we see in the darker aspect. There are drinkings of blood, I'm reading more about Jung now, drinkings of blood and bathings in blood, also crucifixions. The maiden who crops up in case histories differs not inconsiderably from the vaguely flower-like Kore, um, in that the modern figure is more sharply delineated and not nearly so unconscious, as their following examples will show. Okay. Um, now, he goes on to talk about Demeter and Hecate, which, again, are two different manifestations very similarly. Like, Demeter has to do with fertility and, and life and love and the earth. Hecate has to do with the underworld, the secret, and the dark. Okay. There, um, he says, there, you know, he talks about their, um, their in the way that they are um, oversized or life-sized mothers. Um, so, okay, in this paragraph, he says, the earth mother is always chthonic and is occasionally related to the moon, either through the blood sacrifice already mentioned, through a child sacrifice. Um, hang on a minute. I think I lost my page. Um, or else because she is adorned with a sickle moon. And I will note in the case of Kali, an actual, an actual sickle. Um, in pictorial or plastic representations, the mother is dark, deepening to black or red. Okay, so we notice that divine mothers are associated with black and red, these being her principal colors and with a primitive or animal expression of face. In form, she not infrequently resembles a Neolithic ideal of uh, things like the Venus of Willendorf, for example, he mentions. Um, he says, The Earth Mother plays an important part in a woman's unconscious, for her, all her manifestations are described as powerful. Yeah, we think of Shakti as well. This shows that in such cases, the Earth Mother element in the conscious mind is abnormally weak and requires strengthening. Yeah, and there it is. 
the feminine is, is something that's very weak, whether, whether we're, regardless of what we are biologically, the feminine has always been the weaker thing in our culture. We have been very much encouraged uh, through education and through everything else to cultivate the masculine. And the, the feminine, and, and, and we've kind of tended to only really promote uh, aspects of the feminine that tend to be this, um, the more pleasing ones, shall we say. And um, we feel like we have to control or somehow conquer or live in fear of the ones that are darker. So um, interesting, interesting expression here of, of these archetypes, but also very interesting that you don't have um, how this tends to work in a, in a culture and in a religion that does not have these strict dichotomies between male and female. Um, and also between black and white and between uh, colonizer and uh, those in servitude or in slavery. So there's, there's a way in which um, the, the feminine here acts as a subversive element. It actually turns everything upside down on its head while at the same time, you know, retaining the qualities that we associate it with it. You know, love, sexuality, beauty, but also, you know, darkness, rage, revenge, um, and also the independence and protectiveness that are kind of qualities that may in some regard overlap. And we don't see the underworld association with these particular um, loa, which, which, you know, that had, tends to have to do with the Gede um, group. But, um, but nonetheless, you know, we, we see this embodiment of femininity and how it can be. And it's interesting because the revolutionaries used that particular feminine energy you know, supposedly in their right in order to, um, to gain their strength. So there's a knowledge there that their power comes from that dark feminine place. Um, and the dark feminine, you know, as scary as it can be, you know, again, like anything when kept in balance, doesn't have to be scary. It can, it can be a source of strength. It can be a source of self-authenticity and self-independence and feeling that, um, no, I, I, I don't need, you know, I mean, obviously we do need others in one sense, but, my identity and who I am and what I do with my life is not reliant on others. With that, I'm going to stop for now. Um, but I do want to say um, thank you very much to my patrons. Um, if you want to visit patreon.com slash and become a patron um, to support my work, that would be very much appreciated. Um, and also, if you want to see all of my work, which includes this podcast, but also um, my publications, other services, links to other services that I have at... Um, you know, liminalreiki.com, other places, please go to cathonia.net. Um, everything, the, the whole world of what I do is, is contained there. And if you want to follow me on social media, it's Cathonia on YouTube, Cathonia Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, uh, two words on Facebook, uh, one word on Instagram, and on Twitter as well. Um, and with that, um, I want to thank you again for listening, and we'll see you at the next episode. Mm-hmm.